Sleep is our topic today on Health in the Whole, more specifically why we have trouble sleeping and what we can do about it. Our guest is Martha Lewis, a sleep consultant who goes into depth about what affects our sleep beyond the blue blocking glasses and dark quiet room into the role of gut health, food sensitivities, hormones, and more. Want to get amazing insights and perspectives from local health and fitness professionals here in Jackson Hole? This is the podcast, and I am your host, Dr. Laura Wright. This episode is sponsored by Yellowstone Country with Jackson Hole Rose, a nationally syndicated radio show where you can listen in every Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m. Mountain Time on KJAX Live. Welcome everyone to Health in the Hole. I am here today with Martha Lewis and we're talking about sleep. Martha, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Laura? I am good. So let's hear some about your background to get started and then how you ended up in this realm of sleep. (laughs) Yeah, it's a long winding story, but I'll keep it short. Um, I got into sleep with my son who wasn't a great sleeper when he was a baby And I ended up hiring someone and it made such a big difference that I decided to become a sleep consultant to help parents with their kids sleep. And then the ironic thing was, is that I wasn't sleeping and my insomnia started in late pregnancy, but it didn't go away even after my son was born and sleeping through the night. And it really lasted another couple years before I was like, I have to do something about this. Like I am miserable and I feel like a fraud because I am helping people sleep and I'm not sleeping. So what does it entail becoming a sleep consultant? Yeah, well, initially, I, uh, the woman who trained me for pediatric sleep also offered an adult sleep certification. Mm-hmm. So that looked like a lot of um, the basics of sleep, sleep hygiene, um, your thoughts about sleep, you know, looking a little bit at diet and exercise, um, you know, treating it holistically, and some cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. But I always had this thought in the back of my head because I have a background in nutrition as well. Mm -hmm. And so I was, you know, I always thought, what if someone has something health-wise going on that's keeping them from sleeping? Like what I have learned so far might not be enough to help them. Mm -hmm. So then I found out about doing functional lab testing to find out what's going on in people's bodies that are keeping them awake at night. And so then I've become um, certified in doing that kind of testing to really help people find the root of of what's causing them to not be able to sleep. Awesome, so you call yourself a sleep detective or I saw that on your website (laughs) or sleep consultant? Yeah, usually I say consultant, but I feel like I am a detective because I'm piecing together a lot of different things in the labs and mental stress, emotional stress as well to find out what is keeping people awake. So let's just talk about sleep to start. Why is sleep so important? Why should we value it a lot more than we do as a society? Yes. Well, for long-term health, it's very important. Uh, Studies have found that getting fewer than seven hours of sleep a night makes you more likely to get a lot of different chronic diseases. So things like heart disease and diabetes and depression and Alzheimer's. So for our long-term health, it is very important that we get enough sleep Uh, because so much happens with our immune system while we're sleeping, um, with our brain, and it's supposedly sleeping helps get get rid of those amyloid plaques that can build up and cause Alzheimer's. So yeah, so many different reasons why we need to sleep. Um, But I think it's easy to get 
you know, long-term health doesn't always motivate us as much. I think it's the short-term effects that make a big difference in our everyday lives of not being as productive and not being able to focus and being a lot more irritable and grumpy with your family and the people you love most. Um, And just being tired all the time, that's no way to live every day. So I think that's even more important in a way because it affects our everyday life. Yeah. Do you know any like stats on how much more productive people are or how, how much better healing is anything that would like, motivate people to be like, <laughs> Oh, actually I do need more sleep. Well, I've, I have read about productivity. So supposedly for every hour of sleep you miss a night, you lose two hours of productivity the next day. So it's, That's big. <laughs> yeah. So it's easy to think that you can stay up late and keep working and get more done, but mm-hmm. it's actually going to make you less productive the next day. That makes sense. Um, so sleep hygiene, that was one word you already mentioned. Explain what that is. Yeah. So that means, you know, we talk about hygiene of brushing our teeth and washing our face. It means mm-hmm. taking care of ourselves before sleep. So it's looking at things like, what are you doing before, before bed? like the recommendations to minimize blue light and to stay away from screens. That's a big part of sleep hygiene. Tell us, explain that one a little bit more because I think a lot of people are addicted to screens. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, Yeah, screens are tough, but they do emit blue light, which tells our body that it's daytime. So it's similar light from the sun. Mm -hmm. Um, And our circadian rhythm is really regulated mostly by light. And so if you're exposed to that really bright light in the evening, then it's telling your body that it's, that you should be awake. It suppresses melatonin, which is that hormone that tells us when it's time to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, so it interferes with our sleep in that way. And screens also make us wired. Like, you know, they make you, it's not always as relaxing as we think it is, at least in your brain and with your hormones. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's a big piece of, of sleeping well. And how much, how long is that before you go to bed that that'll affect you and your melatonin levels? Um, I mean, I recommend starting to dim the lights two hours before bed and then really avoiding screens. It depends on where people are. If they're used to watching TV until the second they go to bed, then I say, Mm -hmm. let's start with 30 minutes and then let's increase it to an hour. So it kind of depends on where people are, but I think at least an hour away from screens is ideal. And how well do the blue blocking glasses work? I know I was looking, I have a pair around somewhere here. What percent, do you know what percentage they block out and can people be on screens using that or is that just still second best? Yeah, it's still second best. I mean, good blue light blocking glasses do block a majority of blue light, but I think it's that wired um, feeling that you get from screens that also plays a part that the blue light blocking glasses don't protect against. Okay, so that's one part of sleep hygiene I interrupted you. What else is there to it? Um, It's also your bedroom, having that be a relaxing uh, place to sleep, Um, making sure it's cool and dark and, you know, there aren't loud noises, things like that. Um, And it's also using your bed only for sleep. So, and... So it's not um, lying in bed reading, watching TV, those things before bed. And when you aren't sleeping, it also means getting out of bed because you want your brain to have the strong association that sleep equals, or that your bed equals sleep and not lying awake for long periods of time. Got it. Yeah. And then do white noise machines work or pink noise? 
Yeah. Do they help block noise? Yeah, they definitely help block noise. I think it's individual preference as to, you know, I've, I've definitely, since having a baby, like I've used white noise myself and found it really helpful. Um, so yeah, I think it can definitely be helpful. And so what other factors are there that critically affect sleep aside from these sleep hygiene ones you've went over? Yeah, well, there's a lot with, um, with your diet. So eating foods that you're sensitive to can affect your sleep because it causes a lot of inflammation. And then your body releases cortisol because that's anti-inflammatory um, to, you know, but it also wakes you up. And so if your body's releasing cortisol in the middle of the night, then it's going to totally wake you up. So diet plays a big role for sure. Um, and there's a lot more to that as well. But I think a lot of things people don't know are how much hormones can play a role, um, how much your gut can, can affect your sleep and, and things like that. How do you figure out, you know, is it stress? Is it diet? Is it, you know, what it is that's, you know, picking or if it's sleep apnea? Yeah, well, sleep apnea, you'd, you'd want to go to a sleep lab. That's who would diagnose that. So that's, I'm not dealing with disorders like mm -hmm. that. Do you send somebody into a sleep lab first to like clarify that they don't have that? Or do you try these interventions and then see if they know they no. need to go in? Yeah, if they have some signs of sleep apnea, like a big one is snoring, mm -hmm. um, then, then I might suggest that they, you know, that they go to a sleep lab. Um, they actually have to get referred through their primary care doctor. So I can't directly send them to do mm -hmm. that, but I would recommend that. Um, but, and I do work with some people who have apnea and that part is being treated, but they're still waking up and can't go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I can help with too. Okay. So then how do you do your detective work? Is it talking okay. to them? Tell us about the labs you do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I run four different functional lab tests. And these show, they're different than doctor's blood work because they're not diagnosing any kind of disease. They're more showing more general um, imbalances in the body that we can then work on getting back in balance. And so I'm looking at the gut is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, I look at hormones. So cortisol, um, your, your daily rhythm of cortisol and then your sex hormones as well. Um, I look at mineral status and see the balance of minerals. And that test also gives me clues as to how your adrenals are functioning and your thyroid and your blood sugar. And so a lot more, um, a lot more information there. And then I do a food sensitivity test as well to find out what foods might be keeping people awake. And what do you find that's, you know, common factors there? Um, well, there's always something going on in the gut. So some sort of um, pathogen, we call it. So whether it's a parasite, whether it's bacterial overgrowth, whether it's yeast, like mm -hmm. there's always something going on there. Mm -hmm. And, and so the reason why those cause people to wake up at night is because all those creatures are nocturnal. And so okay. it's in the middle of the night that they are eating and excreting and releasing a lot of toxins and causing a lot of inflammation. Mm -hmm. So this is a big reason I find people are waking up at three and four a.m. Okay. and having a hard time going back to sleep. Mm -hmm. I woke up at four this morning. I don't usually do that, but for some reason last night I was awake from like four to like almost five thirty, and I was like, "Magata." I was like thinking about this. I was like, "Oh, it's pretty funny that I, you know, I'm interviewing Martha today." <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah. What was the rest of your question about that? So you said, okay, so gut, that's what you typically find in gut. What do you typically yeah. find with hormones and then diet? Yeah. Well, anyone who isn't sleeping well has something going on with their hormones, especially with their cortisol. Mm -hmm. So it could either be um, super high cortisol all the time, or if people are feeling really exhausted and tired all the time, then their cortisol is probably bottomed out. Um, with sleeping, usually I find that cortisol is elevated first thing in the morning when it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And so that's a reflection of what was happening during the night. So that's definitely something I find. And I'm also looking at that pattern. So our cortisol levels are lowest in the morning, then they spike to the highest point within an hour or two of waking. And then right, they when go we have our cup of coffee, right? We just get like yeah. into that extra spike. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, and then they gradually lower throughout the day. And so a lot of times people's, um, people's rhythms aren't following that pattern. And so, and so then the other tests can help me find out why. Sometimes it's because of those pathogens or because it's food sensitivities um, that they're eating. Yeah, foods that they're eating that their body isn't liking. Um, so that's another thing I find. And for a lot of people, gluten is a really big problem, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, and you know, it's, it definitely contributes to damaging the gut wall. And then that once that is happening, then these pathogens can thrive even more. So a lot of these gut issues kind of feed each other in a way. Um, so I usually find food sensitivities. Um, some people have more than others and that's a reflection of how healthy their gut is in general. So sometimes I see only three and sometimes I see 25. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really big difference um, in showing, yeah, showing how healthy their gut is. Uh, and then with the minerals, I, a lot of times I see that people are in what's called a slow oxidation or slow metabolism state, um, which means that it's, it's a good sign of that their body is really stressed and so calcium and magnesium are really high and sodium and potassium are really low. And so that's just a really common pattern that I see. Um, and sometimes I see toxicity of, of metals and even things like copper mm -hmm. is another one. So yeah, those are some common findings. And was the stress for everyone a lot worse this year that you've seen <laughs> or? Yeah. I mean, most people who I work with have been struggling with this for 20, you know, okay. 10, 20 years. But yes, I would say more and more people are having trouble sleeping these days. Okay. And does it take them to take them 20 years to want to do something about it? Or they've tried other things and just haven't reached the answers? Yeah, I think it's some of both. Um, I mean, some people I work with haven't slept well since they were a child. And um, maybe they've tried sleep medications and those work for a little bit and then they don't anymore or a lot of people don't want to take that. And mm -hmm. so some people have just lived with it for a long time because they haven't found an answer. Um, and yeah, and some people lose hope over that time and think that there's not an answer because mm -hmm. there, there haven't been many good ones. There's, you know, sleeping pills or cognitive behavioral therapy, which works for 80% of people. Okay. Um, but I think that the remaining 20%, there's something more going on. There's something going on in the body that is contributing to that as well. And what is cognitive behavioral therapy and who would somebody see for that? Yeah. I mean, there are people who are certified in doing that and specializing in insomnia for that. So it's doing things like sleep restriction, 
where you limit the amount of time you're in bed. Okay. So, you know, because a lot of times people aren't sleeping while they spend like nine hours in bed and only sleep for seven hours. Got it. So you okay. limit it to seven hours, work on building up that sleep pressure so they feel sleepier. Um, I mean, there are other things I mentioned called stimulus control, but that's the idea of getting out of bed when you aren't sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's a lot of the sleep hygiene too that I already talked about and just all that combined together. Okay, got it. So once you've done this, you've gotten these results, are you then working with people to design their diet to help heal their gut supplements? How are you working with them? Yeah, so I look at diet for sure. Um, not only avoiding foods that they're sensitive to, but also finding out their right ratios of macronutrients. So um, balancing the carbohydrates, protein, and fat into what's right for their body. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if you aren't eating according to your metabolic type or according to what your body prefers, and that is another stressor on the body. So um, yeah, so that's a big part of what I'm doing with diet. I'm looking at rest or sleep and still, you know, looking at all the sleep hygiene and all of those things. I look at exercise as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably not a surprise that many people in Jackson are over-exercising mm-hmm. and that's the problem more than the rest of the world that's under-exercising. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but looking for that balance, um, helping people with stress. So that mental, emotional stress as well, mm-hmm. their thoughts about sleep. A lot of people have sleep anxiety who haven't been able to sleep for a while. They worry about bedtime. They dread bedtime. They worry that they're not going to sleep all day. And, you know, it it affects their entire day. So I help with that. And then what I find in the lab test, I'm um, using supplements a lot of the time to help rebalance those. So whether it's minerals or things to um, help heal the gut, things to help with your kind of adrenal functioning. So those sorts of things. Okay. What are kind of like the most basic things that you think most people are missing that, you know, Hey, you should try this first to get a better um, night of sleep. Yeah. I mean, like, I honestly, don't drink caffeine in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are a lot of the basics that I do feel like if you have struggled to sleep at all, you've probably read those. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's things like don't drink caffeine afternoon. Um, alcohol can definitely affect your sleep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, and the whole avoiding screens, like all of those things are definitely the basics. And then I think if you've tried all those things and been really diligent about them and they're not helping, then there's something more going on. Got it. Um, how long does it typically take somebody to, you know, if they're just, they've been a terrible sleeper for 20 years to get a good night's rest working with you? I'm sure it varies, but. It does vary. So my initial program is three months. Okay. And yep. And some people are like good to go doing awesome at the end of three months. Everyone improves in that three months, but for some people it does take a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And especially like once they see these, their test results and they see how much is going on, um, it can definitely take longer than that to get everything, you know, where we want it to be. But yeah, the idea is that um, usually in two to four weeks, people are seeing improvement with their sleep. And ideally at the end of three months, they're, they're really sleeping great. And everything after that is just fine tuning. And do they, do they typically keep up that or do they revert to their old diet patterns or, and then, you know, would it come back to sleeping difficulties? 
It could. Um, definitely, you know, when I'm asking people to give up gluten and dairy and things like that, not everyone wants to do that forever. What I tell them is if things start to deteriorate, then you know where the problem is. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not saying that you have to give up these things forever. Um, it's probably going to be healthiest if you do, but yeah, if your sleep starts deteriorating, then you know where to start at least to get things back on track. I was going to ask, so what, yeah, what changes are hardest for people to do? Is it giving up the foods? Is it giving up the screens? What do people struggle to? They know it's the right thing, but don't want to do it right away. Yeah. I think it's the foods the most. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So then I was looking at your blogs and everyone, she has an amazing set of blogs. It's the complete solution, complete sleep solution.com. Um, you recently wrote five reasons you can't sleep that no one else, that no one is talking about. And that was just some things that like I'd never heard of. And I've definitely, I've definitely been one of those people who's looked up, you know, why am I not sleeping before? Can you just touch on some of those? I think you've touched on some of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the big five things I see are the gut, like we talked about, mm -hmm. that hormone imbalance, um, their food sensitivities, and there is mineral imbalance. And then the liver is the last thing that I haven't talked about. Okay. Um, and I see that related to everything else as well. But um, because those toxin or those pathogens in your gut are most active at night, then that's especially when they can overburn the liver. So our liver isn't able to detoxify them quickly enough. And so they continue circulating in our bloodstream and again, causing lots of inflammation, mm -hmm. causing you to wake up. So, you know, liver support is definitely a big, a big part of what I'm helping with too, especially when we are working on kind of getting rid of some of those pathogens. And is that what alcohol, why people have trouble sleeping after they drink? It's just more load on the liver as well. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And then in here, you mentioned that calcium supplements can cause issues with sleep. Why is that? <laughs> well, without, if your body isn't absorbing them properly, and if it doesn't have vitamin K2, which helps put them in the bones, mm -hmm. put calcium in the bones where it's supposed to be, then they continue uh, building up in the soft tissue. So that's like something I would see in that um, mineral test. And um, calcium is contracts your muscles while magnesium relaxes them. Mm -hmm. So they, we need both, of course, but if you have this um, calcium buildup in your body, then you know, it makes it hard for your muscles to relax. And so that can contribute, be one of the things that mm -hmm. contributes to not sleeping. And where, where do we get K2 in order to help with so that? K, yeah, K2 is mainly in um, the fat of grass-fed animals. So it's most likely found in butter. Um, yeah, and the fat. There's also some vegetarian sources like natto, which is kind of fermented soybean, has a lot of K2. Okay. But it's really hard to find in the Western diet now. Okay. So, um, so I, yeah, so I definitely recommend supplementing with that and not taking calcium supplements unless you know that you need them because it's more dangerous if they start building up in your soft tissues and your arteries and not getting in your bone. And then how about magnesium supplements? Because there's all, you know, the magnesium calm and all of that for sleep, for muscle relaxation. 
And you mentioned having too much magnesium can be an issue. Yeah, well, again, like minerals always need to be in balance with each other. I do think that it's estimated that 90% of people are deficient in magnesium. Mm -hmm. So most people probably could benefit from supplementing with it. Uh, the thing is you need other minerals and cofactors to absorb it. So things like boron and vitamin B6. And, and so if you don't have all of those nutrients, you're not going to be able to absorb it. If your gut isn't healthy enough to absorb all those nutrients, then you're also not going to be able to absorb it. So that's why I think that magnesium um, a lot of times by itself doesn't really help people, even if they really need it. But we kind of have to look at everything that's going to help with that absorption. Got it. Okay. And then I don't know if you know about this, but like pillows, people ask me about like, you know, what pillow will help me sleep better? What mattress? Is that something you work with? Not really. Okay. <laughs> I mean, being comfortable is key for sure. But I don't think that it's the answer that the mattress companies and the pillow companies, you know, want to tell us that it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a small part of it. But yeah, usually the mattress is not the problem. Okay. And then sleep positions, do those make any difference in terms of quality of sleep? Um, I mean, that's something that's tough to change. Great. I guess I agree. Cause people are like, Oh, should I sleep on my back? I'm like, not if you can't sleep on your back, like sleep is yeah, so important. I can't sleep on my back. Yeah. Sleep so you can heal. Yeah. Don't sleep in the perfect anatomical position. If you can't sleep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I agree. Um, I have one more other random one, but I can't remember it right now. So how do our listeners work <laughs> with you or dive deeper into all of your resources? I know I mentioned your website. What all do you, how do you work with people? Yeah, well, I also have a Facebook group called Sleep and Insomnia Help for Adults, and that is growing rapidly. And in there I go live every week talking about things like we're talking about today, um, diving a little deeper um, into what, you know, what is causing your insomnia. So that's definitely one resource. Is that, that's um, open Facebook? On my website. Well, you have to, um, yes. I mean, yes. You get approved <laughs> by you, but anybody yeah, could I, enter it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have to ask right. to join, right? Okay. Um, yeah. And then on my website, I have the blog, like you talked about. I also have a checklist that you can download that is called What's Causing Your Insomnia. And so it's looking at different signs and symptoms that it could be hormones or detoxification or digestion or, and things like that. Um, so that's another tool. And then I have link, a link on there to schedule a call with me. So that would be the first step if you want to work together, mm -hmm. scheduling a call, seeing if we're a good fit, um, you know, making sure that I can help you and then moving forward from there. Okay. And so in most people, I'm just thinking about myself now, they have one of these underlying gut or food sensitivities. So I know for me, there's, you know, times when I have trouble falling asleep and it's like, my brain is just like going with new ideas, new ideas. Like I need to do this tomorrow. I'm just like that type A person, but there's probably more than that going on if I dug deeper and there's a reason my mind doesn't shut off. Yeah, there could be for sure. I mean, managing stress during the day is definitely key and what I mm -hmm. help people with. Um, so yeah, if you just go, go, go all day long, you can't expect to then fall into bed yeah. and all and of a sudden be called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's definitely part of it. Um, but you know, again, I'm working with people like they've done meditation, they've done journaling, like they've done mm -hmm. all the things and it's still not helping. And so 
yeah, I think it would be making sure that you're being, making sure to relax, you know, taking some breaks throughout the day, getting outside. And then if your mind is still racing every single night, then there's more going on. Okay. okay. So back to what you offer. So I saw there's like a discovery, there's some kind of like call, there's another yeah. tier, and then there's the three month program. Just explain those a little bit. Yeah. So I have a sleep essentials package that is um, pretty much the package without the labs. So it's looking at everything that we've kind of been talking about. Still looking at diet and exercise and stress and using some of those cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. Um, and so that would be my smaller package. And then, but for someone who's already tried all those things, then the lab package is my complete sleep solution. Do you encourage people to use like all the devices that like quantify or qualify your sleep? You know, you know, I, you know, I was in bed for eight hours, but I only you know, slept six and I was only this percent restful because I know a lot of people who rely on those kind of to determine how they feel the next day almost sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's more important to pay attention to how you feel. Um, I definitely don't recommend that people use those when working with me. I think some people like to gout about them and find a lot of value. I think for a lot of people who don't sleep well, they can cause more anxiety mm-hmm. and, and, um, and not be helpful. And so to see that you were in bed for eight hours and thought you were asleep for eight hours, but you only slept for seven. Um, and so then it's going to ruin your day is not helpful. <laughs> Whereas how you feel the next day is what's most important. Agree. If you don't mind sharing, what were your big changes that you had to make to get a better night of sleep? Yes. Well, I have given up gluten for the past six months. Um, I I did find eventually that it was directly causing me to wake up at night. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's see what else I've done. I'm actually in the middle of doing another gut protocol right now. So I found out a year ago that I had a parasite and a lot of bacterial overgrowth. So Mm -hmm. I did a protocol for that. And then I did a retest and then H pylori showed up, which is a bacteria Mm -hmm. that's really common in a lot of the people I work with. Um, So right now I'm in the middle of actually dealing with that. I am also working on rebalancing my hormones. So I'm 43 years old, um, perimenopausal, I would say, and having kind of short cycles and things like that. Um, So I'm supplementing with some adrenal support, hormone support, and and progesterone and DHEA. So those are things that are totally helping me sleep a lot better. Cause I got into this because I, you know, I've had my own sleep struggles too. Yeah. So you didn't test, you know, positive to dairy or any of your other like favorite foods. I did to dairy, but gluten didn't show up, but that's what common. That? Okay. Yeah. Um, there are more specific tests to find out more about gluten. Um, like an IgG since food sensitivity test is what I did. And that looks at every, like, it looks at a certain part of it um, when there are like hundreds of proteins in gluten and wheat that people mm-hmm. can react to. And so there's something called a wheat zoomer test. It gives us a lot more information about which specific proteins people might be reacting to. Um, 
So I do tend to recommend that people give up gluten even if it doesn't show up on the test, mm -hmm. just because it is known to be damaging to the gut. It is the most common inflammatory food. And so it can help just to take a break from that and then work on healing the gut and then see how well you can tolerate it later. Yeah, I wouldn't have any trouble giving up gluten, but like dairy, like I love Greek yogurt. I don't know what I would do without it. <laughs> I guess I'd survive. There's alternatives, but like that would be my fear taking the test is that like, it would be like, yeah, no dairy. I think everything else I'd be okay with. Nice. But, yeah. Dairy is a tough one so, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so then aside from all of these sleep related things in your own health routine, what other practice or habit have you found to be most powerful in your life? It's just general health. Yeah, I, I actually think it's a morning routine. So I started this a couple years ago and waking up and I used to wake up to my son crying and that's how I would start my day is like mm -hmm. in this stressful uh, moment. And now I like to wake up before he wakes up. I take some time to meditate. I, you know, drink some hot water with lemon. Um, I just start the day in a very non-stressful way. And I, I think that that helps set the tone for the day. Um, it keeps your cortisol levels from spiking first thing and being in that stress response all day. So that has been the biggest thing for me for, for my physical health and for my mental health and how I feel during the day. That's awesome. And how old is your son now? He's four. He's four. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So he's, he's sleeping and hopefully not waking up too early. And... No. Yeah. He wakes up at seven every day um, and he sleeps great unless he's sick or like he had growing pains a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago for one night. So do you, yeah. do you put a nightlight in his room since like, right, we were all raised with nightlights, but then light is supposed to not help sleep, but I guess it's more yellow light. Yeah. Yeah. He does have a nightlight in his room. I mean, once kids get to be around two, they, um, they can get scared of the dark and they mm -hmm. seem to prefer a light. So he sleeps fine with it. So I think it's fine. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't know if that was like a thing, like, oh no, nightlights are actually like detracting from sleep. But I'm like somebody who like, I would flip every alarm down. I will like tape over the fire alarm, little light. So I just, I want it to be yeah. black, but I'm, awesome. I'm the same way. Yeah. Well, thank you. Anything else that I have missed? No, That's I don't just, think like, so. Super covered it. Okay. Yeah. Well, super appreciate your time and then all the information that you've shared. I think that this is just so important and there's so many things. I think we do yeah. all know the basics of it, but we're missing a lot of these details frequently. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to health in the whole. If you liked it, please subscribe so you can hear the next episodes. And remember this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare provider before doing anything drastic. Well, hey there, this is Jackson Hole Rose, the Velvet Voice of the West, and your host of Yellowstone Country, the nationally syndicated radio show where I play the hottest country music on the charts. I share some of my very own stories about living in the West, plus fun Yellowstone National Park facts. Check it out every Sunday evening from 6 until 8 p.m. Mountain Time. Join me each week on my local station in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, streaming at kjax.live.